Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to the Digital Insurance Pint Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by my colleagues, Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell & Whale, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance, and Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance. This is another episode of our M&A series, and today we are pleased to be joined by Sean DeSantis, President and CEO of Navicord. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing fine and happy to be with the group tonight. Awesome. Thank you. So, Sean, as we uh, get into it here, could you just give us a quick uh, bio on yourself for our viewers? Sure. I'm a 32-year vet of the insurance industry, um, born and raised Calgarian, and uh, spent most of my career in the western part of Canada, and about 20 years ago moved to uh, Toronto and uh, worked at some great insurance companies. So most of my career has been on the underwriting side. And in 2013, I decided to leave my underwriting career behind and um, lead a brokerage. And that brokerage happened to be uh, Jones Delore in the greater Toronto area. And uh, that start was the beginning of the Navicord story. Well, speaking of a Navicord story, let's uh, dig in here without any further ado. Yeah. Sean, if I could get some quick background on your firm, like you said, Jones Delorier, the Navicord. So where did it all come from and and where's it going? Yeah, thanks for the question, Steve. In in 2013, when I had joined Jones Delorier, the firm had an idea uh, and a desire to be part of something bigger. And at the same time, uh, I had connected with a lot of relationships that I built throughout my career on the underwriting side. And, and one of those individuals I connected with was Marshall Sad from Lloyd Sad in the Alberta marketplace. And at that time, Marshall Sad was thinking about the same thing is how do I become bigger and more relevant in the Canadian marketplace? And so him and I came together. Uh, we had known each other because we grew up in the industry in Alberta uh, for roughly 25 years. And we hired Deloitte. And um, we started working with Deloitte to build a business plan to create what we would refer to, we still refer to as the Great Canadian Brokerage. And as we were doing our work on the business plan, it became evident that in the Canadian marketplace, there was really two types of buyers at that time. This is again 2013. There was American firms coming into the Canadian marketplace. Firms like Gallagher's, Marsh, Marsh Agencies was looking around. Hub at that time had since become a, a U.S. story. And then on the other side, uh, we, we saw insurance companies buying brokers. And, and so the American story felt like we were selling out. The insurance company story felt like we were selling out. So the discussion really moved to, can we find a group of like-minded brokers across Canada that wanted to build a Canadian story? And the first two brokers that, that kind of joined the Navicord story was Lloyd Sad in the Alberta marketplace and Jones Delore uh, in, in the Toronto marketplace. Sean, great to have you on the show. Good to see you again. Uh, tell our listeners, why should a broker sell to you? We'd love to hear your elevator pitch. And aside from the money and the cash, what value do you bring to the table? 
Thanks, Jeff. N nice to see you again a a as well. Look, one of the things as we built out our business plan, what we found out was there's a value proposition that was lacking in the Canadian marketplace. We needed to create a home for entrepreneurs. If you spend time with brokers, they're really some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the Canadian marketplace. We needed to create a model that they can join something versus selling their business. Because most individuals that, that, that join Navicord want to continue to work and be part of a story. Um, and, and then they also care a lot about their brand and they care a lot about their clients and the, the colleagues working in their business. And so one of the things about the Navicord model, it's a very decentralized model. So Navicord is a holding company that would own and lead these broker, and we can't refer to them as partners, across the Canadian marketplace. And the benefit to joining Navicord is the idea that your business, your brand, your clients, your staff do not see any change. And what we found, you know, as we were doing our homework and as we continue to evolve the story is insurance brokers really are fabrics of the community that they work in and where they do business. And most of our clients, be it personal or commercial, are part of that community as well. And so part of our story is, is that brand, that business continues on in that community, which we think is, is very powerful. And then, you know, the other part of our story would be today Navicord has over 200 partners in our business. Um, and, and so those 200 partners are individuals in all the businesses that we have across the Canadian marketplace. And we're trying to have the story of entrepreneurs being shareholders, investors in a broker continue because that's how brokerages were built for decades in the Canadian marketplace. So what? Is your target broker for for size or geography or, or other attributes? We I'll just give you a bit of the background of, of Navicord and our size, and that'll kind of answer the, a bit of the question. But so so Navicord will finish twenty twenty two at around five hundred million in revenue, and when Marshall and myself brought Jones Delory and Lloyd Sad together in two thousand and fourteen, we were sixty million in revenue. So in the last eight years, we've had significant growth. And our, and our portfolio makeup is we are 65% commercial, mid-market commercial, 25% uh, uh, personal insurance, and then the remainder would be in that benefit financial service space. And so what, what, what we're finding as we build out the business, it's less about the makeup or ge geographical area of the broker. It's more about the entrepreneur that is is potentially partnering with us. And is that individual builder, They want do they want to keep on growing their business? Uh, do they want to be part of a bigger story? We, we, we say to individuals, look, if you want to sell and go, go to Florida, probably you should be calling BrokerLink or, or one of those models because that's a different model than our operating model. And so... You know, we open we open Navicord. There's some great personal insurance brokers. There's some great brokers that are in rural locations, and there's some great urban brokers. And so we're looking for the quality individual that wants to help grow and build his business, and we could be the organization that helps him do that. So let's talk uh, digital for a second. So you you're looking to acquire a broker who already has 
a strong digital strategy or a strong digital presence. Does that, uh, in your mind, give them a boost in terms of their valuation? Yeah, you, you know what? <laughs> I, I wanted. To, I saw that question on the list that you sent me, and one of the things that I'm getting confused about these days is what what does digital mean? And 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 so, as I look at different brokers that have dig, digital strategies, you know, some are using digital to acquire customers, some are using digital to make their operations more effective, um, and and so, uh, I I think. From our, our perspective is, as we look around the marketplace, we haven't seen a digital story that is 100% successful on all fronts. And what I mean by that is I put digital in my business and I'm now growing uh, faster than the marketplace. My retention is higher than the marketplace and my earnings is higher than the, the average marketplace. What I've seen is digital stories where they get one of those right, but they can't get the other parts of their component right. And so we continue to search in the Canadian marketplace for a digital story that would fit Navicord. And, and we just haven't found one yet that has all those components. Uh, I have found, uh, which, you know, again, we're supposed to be talking like we're in a pub here. I have found some that have been a bit of a train wreck. And where the, where, where the broker has made a significant investment in digital, and when you look at the results to their business over the, you know, the last five years, it's actually impact at their earnings. And so for, for us, I, I know, you know, it's intuitive to me that digital is going to be more impactful to our, our business. I just haven't seen a story yet that really would say, well, I'm going to pay up for this because they've really got digital 100% right. I, I, I am following a story in the U.S., uh, a broker called Newfront. They are out of the, the uh, San Francisco area. And, and really what they are saying from a digital perspective is, look, if your average revenue per employee is 250000 we think with digital technology and bringing new platform into our business, we could take that two fifty maybe to 500000 per employee or seven fifty per employee. So that really changes the dynamics of a brokerage if someone is able to do that type of digital adaptation into their business. Tom, maybe I could ask you guys, have you guys seen some digital stories in the Canadian marketplace that is it's hitting on all three, revenue, retention, earnings? I, I love the answer. I, it was one of the more comprehensive answers I, I had heard, and it, it, it maybe was a little more articulate on some of my thoughts. So I've, I've struggled um, with the word digital for a long time for me. You know, as somebody who gets labeled digital sometimes, and my take on it is we're just trying to evolve our business in smart ways. And you're either improving acquisition cost, either through speed, pace, or or costing, uh, your retention, you know, moving your your efficiencies. But yeah, all of these things need to boil down to uh, some advantage or a cumulative advantage. Digital broker used to be defined, I don't know, five or six years ago as, as the funnel coming in the door. And now I think, like we've talked about it in the show, it's it's not a digital broker. It, we're calling it modern brokerage where you're applying technologies to the back shop just as much as the as the front door, right? And and that's important to that bottom line. Yeah, it's, I think I think you have some great points there. Like I know in the uh, the high tech and the tech companies, they look at the factor of forty is your growth and your EBITDA 
40% or over, those are kind of the sexy higher value companies. But again, if you can get your EBITDA up and your growth, maybe your attention's not there. So the trifecta is hard to hit because the digital landscape is shifting and, you know, brokers like ourselves are competing against our companies, uh, the direct arms that are driving costs up and they have a lot deeper pockets than us. So to play and acquire clients is a moving target and you have to continue to reinvent yourself. So I don't, I'm not aware of anybody that's killing it on all three fronts. That's probably honest. <laughs> There's probably people, you know, they'll say that, Hey, I'm doing awesome. I'm doing great. But if defining it on the trifecta, as you point, out. Uh, there's probably very few brokers nailing all three of those to a level that that you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, we, we I'll, tell, I'll share a story. We we went down a path with a digital broker and we we got to the point where we had the discussion is how are we going to grow this business? We like the business. How do we grow it? And, you, you know, you came to the idea of we got to invest in the brand and then build the brand in order to get customers into the funnel. And then we said, well, the other option is hiring a sales force to go out and, and sell, which then takes you back very much to the traditional brokerage. And, and so, you know, we've been struggling a bit with how do you make digital work? But, Steve, your answer is how we're thinking about it. It's the modernizing of the business. It's both the back office and the front office. And if we can, I think every broker is using digital a bit more these days. And, and where it's showing up for us is the idea that, that revenue per employee, if that number's moving up and you're getting still good growth, then you've probably done a good job applying digital into your business. Tom, my, my, my last comment on digital, because it's, 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 it's obviously it's on my mind, is I, I'm not 100% sure digital and, and fast service, particularly when you're acquiring customers, is is in the best interest of clients. I, I I think of our business as, you know, we transfer risk from individuals onto insurance companies' um, balance sheets. And, you know, the two biggest assets anyone has in their life are their automobile and their home. And so the idea that someone's going to go online to a digital portal and buy insurance for either of those products without getting advice from a professional it bothers me a bit that as an industry, we, you know, we have some insurance companies pushing that agenda. We have a lot of consultants pushing that agenda. And, and I will say that the more time I spend in the broker space, the more time I think the value added that a broker brings to those individual discussions with clients, I, I'm not sure you could get it in digital. When you get engaged with the brokerage, like, t- tell me what the landscape is like, do the the former owners stick around? Do they maintain ownership? How does that all work? Yeah, good question, Steve. We in Navicor, we hundred percent want former owners to 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 stay around. And so, you know, when you think of our transaction model, uh, we we buy a hundred percent of the business, and then what we allow the the owners of the business to continue to be a partner in the business. You know, they're usually investing back somewhere between twenty to thirty percent of that equity in a tax-free role into Navicourt. And and so the idea behind that is, besides just continue to be part of the organization, they're now a partner in the business. And you know our goal with that 20 to 30% equity that they reinvest into Navicourt is our operating models for every dollar invested at the end of four to six years, we try to get them $2.50 back. So 
our hope is that that reinvestment amount ends up being equal to or greater than the first portion that they took off in, in the first part of the transaction with Navicourt. Has anybody moved from the 20? Is, is it a hard 20 or is there anybody that does sort of 50% roll versus cash of how flexible does that get? Yeah, I mean the average is twenty to thirty. Like you know, we haven't seen anyone do the do the, do the fifty. Uh, I think there's one or two deals where it was sixty cash, forty equity, um, and it's it's kind of it's depending on the individual. The the younger they are, most of them want to leave more in because they see the power of the business and, and their equity growing. I mean, you, you you know, Adam, just 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 the why. You know, we love our model because, you know, we had, we created it, obviously. But when you sell out to, you know, for most of Gallagher's or BrokerLink, you get one chance, you sell your business, that's it. There's no benefit on the future. And that's that's the biggest opportunity for individuals. We just talked about five years out. But you know, imagine someone that stays around for two events or two liquidity events, and they could have that happen to them again in another five years. So, Sean, what do you do with, with the shop's might come to you where there's there's a a kid uh one one of the uh the children of the existing principal or some employees that they need help with succession because as you said scale is important so you know i might have bought the business 20 years ago but you know what you're not going to be able to buy it for me because you're going to need deeper pockets and bigger stuff going on to make this to make this work. How do you help in situations like that? Yeah, and, and so it's interesting you ask that question. The there's, there's two types of brokers that end up joining Navicourt. The first one is a multi-generational brokerage where there's a transition from one generation to the next. Uh, and the other one is uh, a group of individuals that have left Marsh, Aon, Hub, Gallagher's that have built a brokerage and now want to create some liquidity for themselves. So I'll go back to the first one, which is multi-generational business. It is What really happens is the, the generation that's going to be left in the business really wants that first generation to get a payout at market value. And, and so what we do is we work with the, the two generations to one to position the next generation to lead the business and to make sure that they got the right support and size to make that generation successful. And then we, we would we would talk about how do you get that next generation to be a shareholder in Navicord. And usually the, the two generations kind of work out a plan to get that done. And and so you know we we have a number of businesses. Toolpeed comes to mind, they're in Calgary. That business is a hundred years old. Colin is the fourth generation tool family to kind of be running that business. And it's just, a, you know, he's just running it in a different operating model than his dad ran it in. Uh, but he's, he's still very much, you know, shareholder, leading the business, still got the family name on it. And, you know, I would say there's, as I said, there's, there's probably five or six of them in the Navicord organization that made that decision because they wanted to find the right home for the next generation. Hey, loyal listeners, when you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. 
aka Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. But like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool because it is. And it's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. As part of that journey, uh, you mentioned, uh, Sean, that generally brokerages keep their own name. Is there any examples where you've rolled it up in the Navicor brand? Any companies or everybody's maintained their own name uh, in terms of being having that strong footprint in the local community? Yeah, no, Navicor is not an operating broker, so no one's rolled into Navicor. But what we've had, Jeff, is there's there's some brokers that, that have come together in, in the Toronto marketplace Partners Indemnity and Paisley Manor came together to create par- uh, Paisley Partners. Um, we also have some some smaller brokers that you know wanted to be part of a bigger brokerage, and so some of these smaller brokers are working with some of our bigger firms, and and some of them keep their names for a while. Some of them say my name's not relevant to me, but I just want to be part of a bigger business. So we we have a, a number of different models, and it's really dependent upon what the principal. And the leadership team of the broker that's joining Navicord wants. It, 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 I was just going to say one of the uniquenesses of our model is like we're we're in the early early chapters of our story, and and we do not want to be like some of the other consolidators out there that are just tucking everything in into these bigger branches or these bigger operations. We're, we're just not there yet, and we don't really see the value creation in that. You just basically, in terms of branding, you know, you have you know common logos. You put on the websites and the email signatures, that kind of stuff, to yes. donate who's part of it. And you've got a common site to show all your members, kind of thing, to get that message out in the marketplace, right? Yeah. So they they would have all all members got to go to our color, and the font of our brand, and then they'll make a choice if they want to use Jones Delorier slash Navicord, and it really depends who they're talking to. If they're talking to you know, a, a large regional client, they want to look bigger. If they're just talking to a small business client, as an example, they would probably just use Jones Solori. So, I mean, that, that speaks a lot to the value of uh, the, the ownership group and the members, partners. Um, but what would you say is in it for the acquired employees? I would say, first of all, is we at, we at Navicord have not advised any of the partners that joined us to lay off anyone, consolidate any back office functions. Uh, All these businesses continue to operate as is. So if you're an employee uh, of one of these businesses, the first stop is I know my job is going to continue as is because that's a Navicorp model. The second thing which we're finding really valuable is the ability to collaborate across the group in the organization. So you know, the idea that I was part of this firm that had, you know, you know I'm going to say 25 employees, 
and now I've got a very difficult construction risk to place. I can go into, you know, the Navicord world and find someone that might give me some guidance around where to place this risk or help me get it done. And so that's really becoming part of our culture is that collaboration. And then the third thing I would say is the development of talent. And, and, and so I find a lot of brokerages, given their size, can't really make the right investments in training and development. So uh, our organization, you know, one of the things that, that COVID was a benefit for us was the ability to fully understand how to use Zoom. And, and so we now have training courses both for our client service staff across Canada. They would attend on Zoom and as well as our producer development program. So, you know, last year, I, I would say we probably trained, you know, somewhere around 500 individuals. And those individuals wouldn't have been able to get that training sitting in the brokerage that they were in. The other part of the equation here is the carriers that you represent. And, you know, there are Lots of examples of carriers losing out or, or winning, as the case may be, when uh, when something outside of their doing happens, like a broker acquisition. So what's in it in your scenario? What's in it for the carriers who wins, who loses? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Again, because of our decentralized operating model, the, the business placement is organized by the broker that decides to join Navicord. So what we bring from a carrier point of view is we'd bring more markets most brokers wouldn't have access to all the markets we have. You know, we work with our strategic partners on the right compensation arrangements. And so we would bring those compensation arrangements to our broker partners as well. And then, you know, I think you guys all experience this is how do I get my submission to the top of the pile? And, you know, one of the things that Navicord is able to uh, bring is you're now part of a bigger organization. And, you know, we put... We, we emphasize with their markets the need for our submissions, if possible, to move to top of the pile. And, and just on companies for, for a moment, look, our, our top markets, you know, we're getting close to, you know, a number of them having $200 million in premium. And, and we need now to take our, you know, that's, let's say our top five, we're pushing towards $200 million in premium. And then our next five, you know, we're pushing towards $100 million in premium. So what I believe in the marketplace is that the scale you're going to need with insurance companies to get their attention and their support, it, it's just, it's not going down. It's only going to be bigger. And I would tell you, even at $200 million, I sometimes question, is that enough scale? And as you see what's happening in the marketplace with the ongoing consolidation, I, like you need a lot of volume to get the right support. Uh, last comment on that is, you know, if you think of the hard market, and a hard market, you, you know, you could say it's just a cycle, but if the, if the industry proves us over and over again, it'll cycle back, is you're going to need market support to get deals done. So, <clears throat> Sean, you had mentioned uh, a 20 to 30% uh, value of the business rollover in a tax-free type deal. Do you ever buy them outright or even on that type of deal how do you how do you come up with the dollar figure is it is it a multiple EBITDA is it a multiple of commission and just your personal thought and where you think multiples are going whether it be EBITDA or or commission for us it always kind of comes back to multiple of EBITDA Uh, but if someone wants to get a, a, a an amount as a multiple revenue we'll kind of back into it 
figuring out where their EBITDA would be. And so that would kind of would, would be the answer to, to, to that question. And, and you know, in regard to values, valuations of brokers, I mean, everything I read, both in Canada and in the U.S., I, I mean, they are at an all-time high. And, and you know, every time, every time I say, you know, can they go higher, they find a way to go higher. I would say there's 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 some headwinds that we're facing. As interest rates go up, one of the reasons that's been driving brokerages is the leverage model, particularly with private equities. So, you know, that, that might have an impact on valuations. Uh, I, I think also on the valuation piece, I, I would comment that, you know, depending on the size of the broker, depending on your organic growth of a broker, that's all playing into the valuation of a brokerage. Um, and particularly for us, like we, we look for businesses that really have a strong ability to continue to grow. I would like a definition of whether you look at EBITDA with or without CPC, though, because that's always important to brokers, whether because they always look at one or the other. Right. Yeah. We, we what we would do is we usually normalize CPC on a three year basis. So you include CPC, but you kind of average yeah, it out to yeah. get a, a more appropriate number. Interesting. Well, you kind of in a sense answered my question. I think, uh, Sean, we just want to know what brokers can do to make their business worth more. Obviously, you mentioned growth was important, EBITDA was important, CPCs three years normalized. Is there anything else that uh, they, they, that a broker can do if they want to make themselves look more attractive uh, to your firm? The most important action you can do is really around organic growth. And then how do you get organic growth becomes a discussion we would have with you is, are you hiring new producers? Do you have a, a, a way to bring client, acquire clients into your organization? And can you demonstrate that over a, a three to four year period? And, and so from our perspective, that's probably the most important thing that, that a firm could do. Um, and, and when you think of that, it really ties into a bit around how much you're investing in talent because a firm that that is not investing in has you're using a, a bunch of producers that have been in their 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 in the business for a long period of time that that those individuals aren't going to continue to produce strong organic growth so that investment in organic growth is probably the biggest thing any broker can do to drive up the valuation of their business which isn't easy to do where do you see the valuations compare between heavy commercial lines brokers versus heavy personal lines brokers? Yeah, we, 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 we have never done a transaction on a heavy personal lines broker. We, 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 we looked at one and we couldn't make the math work. Um, on commercial brokers compared to personal insurance, I always think it's, it's depend who's doing the buying. A lot of time, on commercial brokers, people like it because they think they can continue to get market share and drive organic growth. On personal insurance, I always think who's ever buying it is looking at some form of vertical integration where they're going to get some benefit from the underwriting income. So I think commercial insurance is about the specialty in the ongoing organic growth. And personal insurance, a lot of it is, is about, you know, can we get some form of vertical integration out of this business? And so if someone could achieve both of those things, the multiples are probably relatively close. Uh, if, if you can't get, you know, if you can't get one of those, then personal insurance is more valuable than commercial or vice versa. So it's, it's not as black and white as I like personal insurance over commercial. It's really what can I do with the business 
host doing a transaction. So let's talk a little bit about some things that you know, may get in the way of an acquisition. And I'm specifically referring to your rights of first refusal or ROFRs. And we know with the you know, number of carriers who are involved in the M&A game that there's you know, a fair number of ROFRs out there in play these days. When you come across a potential partner who has a ROFR, does you know what what impact does that have on your desire around that business and make you back off? Does it does that having a ROFR diminish the value of that brokerage? What you know? How do you react to that particular scenario? Well, my my first piece of advice would be, do not put a ROFR on your business. You know, a, a <laughs> ROFR by by any accounts is not good, and I know in some circumstances individuals need to put a ROFR on their business. I would suggest as as quickly as possible get rid of that ROFR. Um, and then to specifically answer your question, like it really depends who owns that ROFR on the other side. Uh, if it's intact, they have a clear mandate to continue to roll up distribution. And so they, they will be less likely to forgive that ROFR or not participate in that ROFR. And, and if it's most other companies, what they're looking for is to find a friendly home for that business and if it's not going into BrokerLink or the intact world, you know, they will be comfortable uh, basically relaxing that ROFR as long as where it's going is, is going to be a, a, a broker that they can work with. And you guys are obviously one of those brokers that they can work with. Yes, we would be we would be very friendly on that front. And, and I, I think most brokers kind of know that, that, that story. Um, but it's tough because I would think across the Canadian marketplace, there are a lot of brokers with, with ROFRs in their business. And it, just because it was an ING strategy and then it was an intact strategy. And Tommy, you know that. You're, you're kind of part of that story. Uh, don't, blame it on, don't blame it on me. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I uh, <clears throat> know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, just for the record, so are you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. So, Sean, I, I've got the last question here. And it's, it's supposed to be what's your firm's end game. But I want to two-part it. Number one, like, where does Navicord want to go long term? But also, I, I keep going back to that entrepreneur that you want to continue to engage. And what does their end game look like? They've sold you 20%, 30%. How do you exit them? Maybe they're 45, 50, 55 now. How does that exit look like? So you can two part that. So, Steve, can I just start? I want to make sure this is right because I don't think I explained this right. A transaction for us usually looks like us buying 100% of the business and 20 to 30% of that equity, they would tax-free roll into Navicord. And, and, and so, yeah, and, and so, you know, the idea is that the, the owner of a brokerage creates a liquidity event for himself, the ability to take some money off the table, and at the same time can reinvest 20 to 30% of it in Navicord and you know, we focus. Uh, what we're focusing on is trying to get uh, uh, returns around 20% on an annual basis. So every dollar you put into Navicord, the idea is in a four to six year period, we'll give you back two dollars and fifty cents. So that that's kind of the model. So the the amount that's you leave in Navicord, the idea is it, it could actually almost be in five years as much as what you took off to begin with. And and so what what we do when we do a partnership with someone. Uh, we lay all that out so they could fully understand what they're getting today and then 
you know, what's my compensation going forward? And then what's my return on my investment if the business performs as expected? So is that model lock set? Uh, what if there are other partners in the business or uh, succession plans that need help within a business, that sort of thing? How does that work? Yeah. So when we talk about that number, 20 to 30%, most of our deals are done with, with brokerages that have multiple partners. And what really happens is you have, uh, I would say, the senior partner that wants to create more liquidity for himself and the junior partner that wants to keep running the brokerage. So in that scenario, what would happen is most of the time, the junior partner actually rolls more of his equity into Navicord and the senior partner takes more off. And so our, our model allows a bit of bes- bespoke depending upon the situation of each individual partner in the business. And then what we've done numerous times is using use Adam as example. We, we, you know, you go down a path with Adam and Adam says, listen, I've got a great number two or three in my business that I never got around to making a shareholder. And so can they become shareholders in Navicord? And what we would do is help facilitate those individuals at the time of the transaction to become shareholders in Navicord. That allows those individuals to be future entrepreneurs of a brokerage, uh, allows someone like Adam to make sure those staff are locked in, which makes his journey going forward easier. And so we've been able to bring young talent in in brokerages that have joined us. And, you know, our goal is each year to bring a new shareholder group into the Navicord organization and their equity will build over time. So... Back to part part A of the question was, what Navicord's future? You know, we're yeah. $500 million in revenue. We, If you look forward to our three- to four-year plan in the Canadian marketplace, we want to get to $800 to $1 billion in revenue. And, you, you know, we think we're already the size to be a forever business in the Canadian marketplace. And, you know, if we could achieve our goals over the next four or five years, we're 100% for sure you know, would be a great Canadian brokerage story. And and, and so our, 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 our view, I, I'm, I'm 55, my partner Marshall's 53. Our average age of our shareholder group is 50. And so we've got a runway here. And what we're looking at is just building this big Canadian story in the brokerage space. And, you know, I would say that Fairfax have done it on the underwriting side. Intact's done it on the underwriting side. Economicals trying to do it on the underwriting side. And so from our perspective, you know, why can't a Canadian, why can't in that brokerage space there be a, a group of Canadian brokers that build a Canadian story? You know, when we think of the Navicord vision, we are, as I said before, about building the great Canadian brokerage. And, and we want to be a home for entrepreneurs. We want to be a business that is attracting builders and innovators who want to continue their growth journey. You know, we talk a lot about lifelong partners. We want to partner with brokers who want to continue to be owners in their business and continue to build. And then, you know, for all brokerages, it's it's the commitment to exceptional client experience. And we want to continue focused on that, the modernization of our business, helping brokers with their service model so it ends up attracting more clients into their organization. And, you know, our, our, our last point is around Canadian service, Canadians and the ability for us to have these businesses across Canada with owners in these businesses across Canada, and they're serving other owners of businesses 
and helping personal insurance customers really reinforces the model of, of, of Canadians serving Canadians. And, you know, close off, our, our model is a bit bespoke. It's not as black and white as some of the other models out there. So if any interest in learning a bit more about Navicord, please reach out to Marshall or myself and we sit around and sit down and have a conversation about is Navicord the right fit for your business. I just wanted to give a big shout out to IFS Premium Finance, our title sponsor, as well as the crew group, and of course our charity partner, WIC. Uh, without our sponsors, none of this is possible. So thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast Certified.